Mate, this is going to be awesome. It's not stayed to come down for that one. Hit him, hit him. It's more than just a hobby, it's who we are. Cracker. That's why we hunt. Welcome to the Educated Hunter Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by the wonderful people at Go Native. Go Native produce a number of different products which are of interest to hunters and outdoorsmen alike. But today I'm going to talk specifically about their meal packs and their 24 hour expedition pack, which, which I really like. I always have a few of these on hand in case I decide to go hunting. I can just shove them in my backpack with a handful of muesli bars because I like to snack on things outside of my main meals. But that way I know I'm covered for a 24-hour period. That Go Native 24-hour pack contains your three main meals, your tea and your coffee, salt and pepper, and it's really good tasting and nutritious stuff. The biggest difference, I guess, between what Go Native do and what else is available on the market is the Go Native stuff is not actually dehydrated. So it is vacuum packed in a in a sealed bag. You just take that bag, boil it, open it up, eat it straight out of the bag or dump it on a plate. The end result is it tastes a lot better. My favourite is probably the butter chicken. I'm also a big fan of the beef casserole. They've got a bunch of other flavours as well, but uh, the food itself is something that you look forward to at the end of the day. But outside of that, the protein content is much higher than you'll find in dehydrated meals. So when you dehydrate it, you lose a bunch of the protein content, um, particularly those mass-produced dehydrated meals. Uh, The Go Native stuff has a much higher nutritional value than anything else on the market. So for me, in my old age, I'm getting a little bit wiser, and I understand the fact that if you have a big day on the hill, um, you need to be replacing that protein, and getting your protein is a big part of your recovery for the next day. So by carrying a little bit extra weight, I know that I'm getting good quality food and good quality protein. If I'm going on a 10 or 12 day massive backpack mission, yep, sure, I'll probably take dehydrated meals and sacrifice a bit in that way. But if I can, uh, for example, I'm going on a shorter trip or I'm flying in or there's a boat or a truck or some kind of transport involved um, and I can get the food to base camp without having to pack it for 10 days then I'll 100% of the time go with the go native stuff just because I know it tastes better it takes all the thinking out of it I don't have to organize meal plans or any of that stuff and it's much better for you higher protein higher energy better recovery all that said, the legends at Go Native are offering all of our educated hunter listeners a 10% discount on anything you order off their website. So if you head to the website, which is gonativeworld.com, order up what you want and enter the product code or the promo code THEEDUCATEDHUNTER, all one word, at checkout, then they'll give you a 10% discount on anything you order. So next adventure you're going on, be it big or small, give it a try. Okay, welcome. So... Today's podcast is a little bit different. For some of you, you may have already heard it. It was recorded with the Pace brother, well, with Byron Pace, whilst he was here in New Zealand. We shared a couple of days hunting, and we had a pretty good chat about topics that involve hunting as a whole, some Scotland topic, and some New Zealand topic. So there's a lot of information shared that suit both providers, 
some of you may, like I said, have heard this podcast. It's number 86 on the Into the Wilderness podcast delivered by the Pace Brothers. We definitely wanted to share it to, to our listeners from the Educated Hunter. Um, it's a really good chat. It's really good to have a good conversation with Byron. Really interesting guy. Uh, a lot of skills. Um, very well articulated. And that will come across in the podcast. I do make a joke early on about podcasting with a professional for the first time. But uh, it really is a good chat. I'm pretty sure you know all our, all our listeners will enjoy it. I certainly did. Go ahead and have a listen. Kieran, welcome to the Into the Wilderness podcast. I say welcome to the Into the Wilderness podcast, but there's a very good chance that we're probably going to swap cast this. Now, we've never done a swap cast this way around where you're kind of on our podcast, but you might be using it also as your podcast. So that's cool. That's new. Yeah, well, if it's new for you, it's for sure new for me. And um, you guys have just, you're like three days, four days into the podcasting world. So welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Byron. Yeah, yeah. so we're, we're officially four days in. Um, what Give me, so that people can go out and find you, all of our listeners, uh, how, do, how do they find you on the podcast platform? Um, so we're... We're distributing through iTunes um, initially. The Educated Hunter is the is the name of the podcast. Uh, it is brought by myself, Kieran Island, and Matthew Gibson. Yeah. And so what's what's the premise of? I mean, it the title I think probably gives quite a lot away. The Educated Hunter. Uh, I'd like to think that we have a lot of educated hunters who listen to this podcast, or hunters certainly that want to improve their sort of level of education and understanding globally. But yeah, what is the sort of the short version premise of, of what you're trying to achieve with the podcast? Yeah, I mean, essentially it's not too far from what you've just covered, but it, it really was what is. Uh, we just want to get hunters, particularly initially from New Zealand, but internationally as a whole, to start communicating and sharing ideas and issues. Um, there's, there's a lot of learning to come from other people. Yeah, definitely, um, we agree. And... You know, I, I think a little bit of the culture that I grew up in with my hunting is if it wasn't what you did or understood, it was wrong. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, as I've grown and matured myself as a person and within hunting, um, I've learned that that's not the case. And the, and the first way we get to, I guess, resolving issues or at least bringing them to the forefront and and, and valuing the issue, both good and bad, is by communicating about it and yeah. having that conversation, right. and so I guess that's 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 what we hope to initially achieve with Educated Hunter, and then just hope to to bring hunters together. And hmm. so you've had uh, you, what are you three three issues in? That's oh, right, three yeah. episodes. Yeah, yeah, three episodes in. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, we're flying uh, ahead. But you, but you guys, I, I was quite impressed when you were telling me you you're actually planned quite well ahead because you've got quite a few podcasts in the bank already. Yep. So we've got we've got ten recorded, you know, and we're um, and I've got a. Next week, I've got a, another three or four, you know, to go right off the bat. So um, there's a there's a lot of people, uh, you know. Thankfully, between Matthew and myself, we have a a pretty good base of people with uh, with varying interests. Like they're not all just hunters, just like I am. You know, there's um, different styles of hunting, and then there's different there's people within my circle of friends that have different values on conservation and the likes. So it's not. And we and it's something we really want to focus on with our podcast. Is it's not all one sided. We just not just agree with Karen and Matthew. That's not what we want. Yeah, you want like, to have conversations. We want to be debate. The, the format yeah. for conversation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
That's exciting. Uh, that's uh, I'm impressed with your forward planning because at most we we normally manage to run like three ahead. <laughs> Just, well, uh, yeah, we're, we're every two weeks as well, and I mean sometimes we are a little bit more like we do uh, like when we were at Iwa when we do the show over in, in Nuremberg, and you have an opportunity to meet a lot of people in a short space of time over like three or four days, and then we kind of managed to get ahead of ourselves. And prior to me coming to New Zealand because Daryl couldn't be here, we got a whole bunch done, but. Yeah, I'll be impressed if you manage to keep like 10 episodes ahead going forward because it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot of work. People yeah. don't realize what a lot of work it is, but we you know, we, we enjoy it. And I'm, I know that you're saying that you've been enjoying the process of yeah. putting podcasts together. Really enjoying the process. Like I'm really enjoying – and it's sort of hard to give context on that because I've been telling you how much I just enjoy hunting. Mm. It doesn't have to be big trips. It doesn't have to be week long. It doesn't – it can be anything. I just enjoy it. But um, with with that – I, I find myself being complacent. So I've, what I like with the podcast is I actually get to have genuine conversations about real topics yeah. and, and, and you know, pick on a few things here and there. Like I, I really enjoy it. Yeah. For us, what's been so cool over the last two and a bit years is we've had the opportunity to speak to some truly amazing people from all over the planet. And it's been a, it, it, I almost want to say it's like it's been the excuse to have conversations with people that I might not otherwise have had the opportunity to have conversations with. Uh, you know, legends like Shane Mahoney, who have taken the time out to have conversations with us, and you know, we've we learn a lot from it. And I know from the feedback that we get that our our listeners appreciate it and learn a lot from those people. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we, we could. I think we definitely do more to take the time to learn from people who know more than we do. Yeah, well, around important. the world, not yeah, just yeah. in our own mm-hmm. countries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I, I like I'm much the same. I'm re- I'm really looking forward to. I guess some of them are idols. You know, it's it's fair for me to bracket them like that. But then, also some uh, industry leaders, um, and and I imagine when I get into it further, there's going to be a lot of information that just isn't there for the public, you know, or or the public hide from. And I just want to hear those stories too. Yeah, you know, I think I think touch, when touch it all the comes prick, a- touch the prickly issues. Yeah, well, I think so. Um, yeah. that's, that's what it's about for us, you know, just yeah. to lay it down and be as honest as possible. And I think we're moving. I think we're moving into an era uh, in hunting. And when we say hunting, we sometimes have to um, explain what we mean in the UK because hunting traditionally in the UK was always you were hunting foxes, hunting with hounds. That's what that phrase is. But when we talk about hunting, we've always it's all encompassing. It's all forms of hunting when we, when we say that. But I, I think with regard to that globally, I think we're moving to a time where. We are being a bit more honest about the good, the bad, the ugly, maybe think ways that we should be changing what we do. Mm-hmm. And I think that's refreshing. Yeah, I mean, I, you must I, have seen it with some of the new publications and people and stuff online. Yeah, certainly. I, and I, it's refreshing, but it's probably necessary. You know, I think, um, you know, there's we've probably had it pretty good as hunters, especially down here in New Zealand. Um, we've had it pretty good for a long time. And um, we're probably not aware of what we need to be doing to represent ourselves a little bit better. I, I think that's you know partly an issue. There's there's any number of things to go down, but I, I, that that's where it sits for me. Um, I'd like to think that if I could impact hunting and hunters to to take some social responsibility with what it is they do and the way they do it and why they portray it and and. And have the confidence to portray it and, and show it the way they do too. Like, um, it's a big I, part of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it's it's 
you know, we see a, a lot of what we do is it's not just about, um, well, it's kind of twofold. It's about providing information to people who are already in the sort of hunting community so that they can better represent themselves, like you've said. Mm-hmm. Because that, the, the ways to understand that and articulate yourself to somebody who doesn't um, hunt hasn't always been there because we're always talking amongst ourselves. Yep. And then the second part of that is to also present a, present a show like the podcast or present films like we make in a way that can also be consumed by people who don't hunt because we've not been particularly good at that either. Yep. Yeah, so that's that's where we hope with the educated hunter to make the biggest influence in in the demographic which we we bracketed as the uninformed. Yeah. So um, not the people who don't like us. Yeah, like the, there is those people, and there's that in any demographic. Yeah. You know, the guys that are currently in speedway have people that don't like the noise. Like <laughs> it's in everything. Yeah. Like it's not well us as hunters. The course fishermen don't like the game fishermen. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But it's it's there in hunting. Um, and I think as hunters, we need to well, we need to share. And, you know, there's that, that, that massive population that are the uninformed and basically they have option A or option B. And, and until option A being the hunters, um, just show it in a better light and show it positively and, and, and show the benefits of, unfortunately, it looks a lot better to side with those that oppose the hunting. Mm. You know, and... You've got to look into it a lot deeper when it comes to trying to understand the benefits that hunting can have. But also, I think, from our standpoint, we need to be uh, honest about things which are maybe not necessarily done particularly well Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Like, we we are hunting animals, you know, like in its simplest form. Um, So we, we just need to be honest about what it is we do, why we do it, and and... And the morals we take to it as well. Because That's important. The, they, they get overlooked and um, you know that, that's the unfortunate side of things. Yeah, I think we live increasingly in a society and we see this. You're in a, living almost like in a slightly different world here in New Zealand from the little that I've seen while I've been here because it's way more socially acceptable to be involved in hunting, be a hunter uh, here and you've got a much smaller population but probably a higher number of hunters so as a proportion it's huge. Um, compared to us back in the, back in the UK, um, and it it, it creates a, a slightly different way of outlook for hunters here in terms of what they can maybe maybe get away with and what's been done historically. Whereas we're in a position uh, back at home right now where almost everything we do seems or feels like it needs to be quite guarded. Yeah, certainly. So, so that that touches on something that you know we believe is as Matthew and Curran or the educator under that we as New Zealand in our youth have the opportunity to learn from countries that have you know been hunting for longer than us and are now you know had and have come through different issues um, and, and have changed the way that they are viewed publicly or or are working on changing that and like we have the ability to work on those things prior to them needing to be done. Yeah. I think that's really important. Because proactive. Proactive, yeah. you know, because we live in, well, for a hunter, you know, like New Zealand is, it doesn't get much better, you know what I mean? Like, um, and I'm, a, you know, very aware of that. Like we can hunt multiple species, multiple areas, sort of 
without limitation, you know, other than a few ballot or recreational hunting area type type scenarios. But we literally have a free reign in it. And like you say, due to the population, it is socially acceptable on the whole. You know, mm-hmm. we, we have hunting. You, you don't have much negative, like, anti-type hunting backlash here? Or? So it's starting to come. Yeah. And that that's where we see, based on what we've seen internationally, that we need to be proactive now. Because we, we are so small and, and I guess, in a little bubble and... Um, you could say whilst hunting is socially acceptable as as New Zealand's population rises and 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 families move more to the city for um, employment opportunities and, and generations get further away from being rural and being off the yeah, hill. Like, like being connected to the yeah, land. Yeah, because yeah. I, like I sit there sometimes I'm in my vacant daydream sitting on the hill and I'm like, crikey, we, we're almost one generation away from never going camping again. <laughs> it's true. Well, well, you know, like yeah. I look at it and thankfully my parents took me camping, so I camp, so my children will camp. But then I've, I've got friends my age group with young children that have never camped. That seems so, mad, doesn't so it? So beyond that, if they don't camp, who's how do you learn that skill set? Like, And it seems and, like basic stuff if you've done it. If, like, you've if done your parents it. pass it on. Yeah. But it's an alien world if you've never if you're if you're thirty years old yeah. and you've never set up a tent and li- like cooked on like a little gas cooker exactly. or, f- or s- liquid fuel cooker yeah and then and then from there it only goes further when we talk about hunting like it yeah you know that's a whole other step but I, I just just going back there like I think you know we we have the opportunity based on the fact that a, a, lo- a large number of our population still support hunting to change it with support. You're in a strong position. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if we can get it publicly, be proactive publicly, whilst we've got number and support, like, that's as strong as it's ever going to be. If we let that demise sort of happen over time, and then the hunters become a minority by further population, then it's a harder battle for us at all. So, you know, I guess... But how like, do you, I mean, how do you tackle the, like we were just saying, the... The moral reasoning why you why we hunt why why we why we take life and why we feel the need to undertake this activity of, of hunting in whatever form it might take whether mm-hmm. it be pig hunting here or uh, whether it be stags in Scotland or stags here or duck shooting you know there's a whole multitude of different different skill sets and different ways that we can hunt and harvest food for the table and and trophies in, in inverted commas which is a, another discussion. But how do you how do you tackle the current situation in New Zealand um, in terms of the sort of moral responsibility? When from from what I've seen, and you, you feel free to to correct me here, but the the kind of management of game, if you I know it's not really class, <laughs> much of it's not really class as yeah. game here, but what we would see as game species, your, mm-hmm. your tar, your chamois. Uh, your red stags and all, all the other deer, deer species, those kind of game species um, that people want to pursue in the activity of hunting, don't really have a management plan. No. Yeah. No, so and it's, and, it's, it's, and, it's, and it's we often the attach the the kind of the, the moral responsibility to moral responsibility of management and actually looking after and taking care of a species and it's kind of all tied in a circle and when we're explaining why do we do what we do when we're culling hinds in in the winter in Scotland and we can you start to paint that picture for somebody so that they can understand but here you've got a a very different scenario that would be quite alien to people back at home and I mean I've learned a hell of a lot in the last 10 days it's not 
maybe quite how it seems from the outside. So maybe you can flesh that out a little bit. I mean, that's a whole... Yeah, it's not cheap as this. How long do we time. have? Yeah. Um, well, to, to, put, to put that simply from the bits, the bits that I heard as Curran, you know, yeah. um, we, we don't manage them. <clears throat> um, it's a, almost like a peak and trough thing. Like, there's too many. Let's get rid of them. There's not enough. Move on. And that's over and, a quite a lot of species you're referring yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is across the board. Yeah. Um, I think if we went down each species of yeah, because, whole, it would be... And just to... So I'll let you carry on, mm-hmm. but just for a little bit of background for people listening. There isn't really a lot here uh, that's... We're using somebody else's house right now <laughs> that we have permission to be in. Yeah, yeah. And that's the phone ring. But So we'll let that ring, ring in the background, but we're not going to pick it up because it's not our house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, a, a lot of the species that are here in New Zealand were introduced. Yep. Yeah. So, well, but essentially everything we hunt was introduced. Yeah. You know, um, and and therefore classified as a pest. Yeah. Um, so it becomes pretty. It wasn't hard. originally though. Well, it becomes pretty hard to manage a pest, doesn't it? Yeah. But originally, um, when it was introduced, it wasn't classified. So it was introduced for hunting. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and a, a gift to New Zealand. You know, and now they're a pest. Quite a lot um, from Scotland. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for that. Um, so, so now it's a pest, um, and we we don't have a, a a management system as such. There's there's there is management that happens as a result, if if that makes sense. Like so, so if if numbers were deemed high, or there was like a tuberculosis scare, because you know, um, there's a there's another big topic in that, but. Then management management might exist in the in the form of cows and poisoning. There's not ongoing management, um, and and then one thing that and where that because of our unique hunting demographic, some of the hunters are going to have more of a problem with introducing a management system than the non-hunters. Yeah, okay. and that that's because because the free reign we, would yeah, be removed. It's our right as Kiwis, quote unquote, yeah. to hunt and have numbers and and it's dockland. So when they refer to dockland, it's for the Kiwis. And that's the Department of Conservation. Department of Conservation. Which is your um, public public lands. Public right. land. Um, so an organisation that's there to look after public land, both um, plant and pest, um, plant and animal and pest control. Um, so that they do govern all that, but then they also look and promote access for Kiwis. Okay. So, you know, the, the trouble with that is hunters are going to have an issue with that. Yeah, because you could do whatever yeah. you like, and now suddenly someone's telling you someone's you can't got do a handbrake stuff. on that. Yeah. yeah, and they're they're going in there and they're 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 culling hinds, and X amount of people are going to say, "Well, I could shoot that hind, and my family could eat it." And then it's all very true. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think to find a balance that exists between management. For New Zealand and our native species, New Zealanders that hunt and want to hunt, they want to learn to hunt, and then just the the balance for the animal itself, management needs to come out so it averages out over a long playing field. Yeah, not not up and down and to no, suit. You've got suit. big peaks and troughs right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and we have there's the, the, there's so many issues like and that they. Well, they all come together at some point, but they're all very different. Mm. Yeah, I mean, so. what on a sort of a broad level, what's the 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 countrywide government? Because ultimately, you know, just the same as in most countries around the world, a lot of what ends up happening gets pushed by government. 
what is the current view of the government? What do they want to see? You know, you, you, you've you got, like we've just said, you know, tar, shamwar, a whole heap of deer species. Yeah. What's the future for them as far as the government are concerned? The hunters I, still want to have them to hunt, but... Yeah, so so this, my my reply to that is based on the information I know. Yeah, it's only the information I know. know. Like, um, because I I haven't spoken to anybody in government directly about this, but it's, it, it, it comes across and it appears, and this is partly why hunters get so agitated around the idea, is that if they could remove every one of these animals that is quote unquote a pest, Mm -hmm. then that would be better. That, so that, that's the desirable outcome. Yeah. That's the impression yeah. that I've got asking the few yeah, questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and, the feeling. Yeah. But again, I, I, you may or may not have, have you gone to yeah. the powers to be and, and, and had those discussions? And I haven't, and I hope to one day. Yeah. Just just to balance that argument. To understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Because, um, you know, as a hunter, I I want management in there. I want management of herds, and I want populations like I say, to average out. But I still want hunting to be there. I want to be able to enjoy the outdoors. I want to hunt. I want to be able to educate my children to hunt. I want this to be a long-serving activity, hobby, passion, however it fits into an individual. And try and achieve the balance between introduced huntable species, which are, with the little knowledge that I've had, I think that they're a valuable asset to your country. But, you know, that is up for debate. But I can equally see that you have to balance that with the loss of whatever it might, whatever native it might be, whether that mm-hmm. be plants or native animals. Yep. Yep. There is that and balance. There, there has to, to be a balance. There has to be because I want as much as – and that's where, where as a hunter I have to let my ego go a little bit because like, I want to be able to hunt deer. I want to be able to hunt tar. I want to be able to hunt chamois. You know, like, that's what I want. But I also want New Zealand to be – the beautiful iconic place it is for my family and for my next generation. You don't want to lose your iconic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I don't, I don't want to be able to hunt forever for the sake of New Zealand being New Zealand. Yeah. You know, like so, I as a hunter have to actually appreciate that. Oh, I actually hang on. I need to find that happy medium, and that may mean that sometimes when I walk out on the hill, I don't see forty deer. You know, like is is that excessive? I don't. I don't know. I don't know. You know, I'm. I don't have that skill, so I don't know what population should be and where they should be. But I know we don't really seem to even conversate about it. Yeah, okay. and that, that's that's where I come from. You've got to start the conversation first. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's it's a it's a complex issue and one that we are not going to solve drink, <laughs> drinking but, beer but, tonight. But, but then I, I guess, how have you felt? Like you've, I know you've only been here for ten days mm. and spent time with limited number of people, so yeah. it's probably a view from yeah, it, reasonably it, it, similar fields. It is. But what's your perception? Uh, I was kind of, you know, I've always viewed uh, New Zealand, and I think many people do who don't live here, as this incredible hunting and fishing mecca. I'm not seeing any of the fishing because I'm here the wrong time of bloody year. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's this hunting and fishing mecca, which is just you're surrounded by people who it's really part of their culture. And, I, and I've seen that, like we've just had the, had the discussion. And I can see how, why, uh, I can see why people think that on the outside, but I was almost a little bit, um, I, suppose, I don't know if disappointed is the right word, but when I started to understand how the animals were viewed here by the population and, and the government, from what I've I've come to understand, I was disappointed because I saw it as this heaven, 
And I realized that you guys have actually probably more issues than we have in Scotland. Well, we've got a lot of hunting. Yeah, you've got a lot but of hunting, but... Nothing other than that. Like, yeah, you know, I mean, really, there seems to me to be, at whatever level, this almost want to say kind of a lack of respect for the value of those animals and and an appreciation of what they are and their sort of place within the world. And I understand it's complex because they are non-natives, but then equally, how far do you want to turn the clock back? And we have this discussion. How far can you turn it back? How far can you turn it back? We have this discussion at home all the time with the people who want to rewild and they want to reintroduce wolves and lynx and They've already managed to re- illegally re- uh, reintroduce beavers, but how far do you want to turn the cl- uh, clock back? And just like you say, how far can you? Because we still are going to live there. So unless you want to start sticking people on a ship and moving them out the country, because we live on a little island like you do, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a limit to what you can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that a balance can be found. Uh, and yeah, I was. It was really frustrating to understand quite how the animals were viewed like for example i was up in uh in the godly valley um we were taking some photographs up there and i I was looking at the hut books which i think is an awesome thing by the way Mm -hmm. having having a hut book so you can see who's been there and And it doesn't have to be hunters no no it just shows you the users yeah Yeah, yeah, all sorts of people but there was a a group of hunters from australia who had been in there Uh, i mean i'm only mentioning it because they said they were from australia and like uh, seven or eight guys or something and they'd been in this particular place, and they'd shot 28 or 27 tar in seven days. <laughs> but um, yep. they were all young. Yeah. And my impression of that was that they were happy to do that. You know, I, I would say that there's personal moral issues going on there anyway, uh, that they were happy to do that. But maybe they were comfortable to do it because of the way that those animals are viewed within your country, within New Zealand, because they're seen as pests. So in a way, it's like, well, I'm kind of doing you a favour, right? Yeah, that, I mean, that's and a that's, I think that's a shame. Yeah, like we've, we've, we've found ourselves, wrongly or rightly, on this niche where if people want to come and pull the trigger a lot, come to New Zealand. Yeah, you can gun you know, as much you, stuff down as you like. Yeah, and you don't need to take the meat. You don't need to pack out. You don't need to take the fight. You don't even need to care about what it is you're pulling the trigger on. And how would, does that look to a non-hunting public? Exactly, and that, that's... That's and that's a painful reality, and yeah. and, and the tie with it is because I, you know, like when I hear somebody went in there and shot, you know, X amount of tar, and and the numbers and the species are irrelevant. Yeah, a little part of me goes, well, somebody needs to manage those because we're not doing it as recreational hunters, Fair enough. you know, in, yep. in the area. And then I go, but like, how many of those were young bulls, or how many of those had potential, or how many of those perhaps could have been income? generating for New Zealand as a whole you know like uh, there's different opportunities that could have come with it like they're, they're majestic animals any of these species yeah they are um, but you, and, you, and we make them valueless you do yeah yeah it, it is a system and you can see like the with that example I gave you the lack of uh, you know maybe maybe it is the case that they thought they were doing New Zealand in inverted commas <laughs> a favour because it's seen as a pest species but there shows a lack of education because it was all bulls are shot Mm-hmm. So what's that doing to the population? Well, mm-hmm. okay, congratulations, you've reduced it by 28. Yep. But if you'd shot 28 females, you're actually making a difference. Because that's yeah, what, a positive, you know, that positive, positive difference, difference yeah. if it is a case that you've got too many. Just the same as on the estates in Scotland, they will have a handle on their population. They shoot so many stags that they've got stags left over. And then they're looking at their hind population and uh, what the, the reproduction rate is going to be for the age class. 
and they're culling appropriately to keep that level either where it is, if they're happy with it from the year before, or maybe they're culling a bit more to bring it down. Maybe they're culling less Less. if it's been a hard winter. But that requires a handle on the population. And also you've got to value the population in order to take that kind of mindset instead of like a carpet bombing, just shoot whatever's there. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose that's kind of what almost upset me in a way. Yeah, well, it upsets a lot of New Zealanders too. You know, yeah, like, um, and, and there's been a growing trend for that kind of thing. Um, you know, like social media has allowed that to be seen. Like, you know, there's a lot of people coming and shooting a lot of different animals. Mm. Um, Do you think that's played a big part? The sort of social media come on, come on over to New it's, Zealand. It's 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 made it has made seeing that as an opportunity available. Yeah, you know, and and then you look at it. For those that are interested in hunting and looking at it from those that like overseas experience and adventure, you can come to New Zealand on a road trip for three weeks and add in a four-day hunt where you can shoot wherever you want for as long as you want. But yeah, well, you can't do that kind of thing anywhere else in the world. Uh, and it's, at the moment, fine. We don't have a problem with it, quote-unquote. You know, like, uh, and that, that's... Uh, that's, it's just really unfortunate. I believe it's unfortunate. It is a shame. I, I will just add in terms of like a, a positive note at the end of that is that it's a freaking awesome experience. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I've just done some of the done right. And, you know, I was I was with um, Joseph Peters, who was, who was guiding me. So you know, he's a guy with a huge amount of knowledge. And I've done a podcast with him, which may or may not come out before this podcast. Um, but I got to experience, you know, proper wilderness. Yeah. proper hunting with great care mm-hmm. great care as to what we were looking at and I learned a huge amount so in terms of and I've done you know, I've been fortunate enough to hunt in a number of countries around the world and a number of different species uh, through my hunting career and through work that I've done and you know it's right up there it is like it is, it is an right awesome experience it's right up it's, there it's in terms right of the species and, yeah. and the experience and what it takes to hunt those animals it is, you know, it's going to blow you away. If you've not been yep. here before, uh, I don't want people to be put off by the conversation no, we've yeah, just had. Yeah, it will, if it's done right, it yep. will absolutely blow yep. you away. And, but, the, but perhaps there needs to be some management around that, yeah. so it has to be done right. <clears throat> exactly. Like we have That's fantastic outfitters here in New Zealand, yeah. Joseph being one of them, that um, is, you know, loves climbing the hills. He's built for it. Um, <laughs> but, but, I but, found that But up. importantly, and yeah. I, like I hope to podcast Joseph about this sort of thing, like... His view on what a trophy is, you know, is, is, is accurate. Like he's aging animals, and he's yeah, he's particularly he's happy to class. walk beyond the first animal. Like, and he's got so many attributes that I think just make him a really strong hunter. So, you know, I do hope to podcast him myself in the future. But perhaps we need management around that. Yeah, you know, and and that would be the form because then it allows it to happen. But it it also means that it has to happen, and and perhaps that's what we need. Like, and that's sort of like there's the so many models approach. around the world. Yeah. We're humans being humans. We don't really do it until we have to do it. And yeah. that perhaps that's what that takes. Maybe New Zealand could be the first yeah, exactly, to be you ahead know. of the curve. The, the, don't be forced into a corner because that's you know that's the issue that we face at home all the time. We're forced into a corner that you eventually can't get out of. Yep. Yeah. And and I like I and, and this there's there's so much despite New Zealand and New Zealand's hunting being youthful, we have so much history that's gonna be quite hard to change. But yeah. you look at you've you know, I understand you've Film tar hunting in Nepal. I have, yeah. And then, then we have the tar hunt here in New Zealand. And then, other than some high fence tar in Texas, which arguably isn't tar hunting, but, yeah. it, but what it, that's a different thing. Um, we're it's 
if you put that on a supply and demand thing outside of the fact you can shoot any number, but like in terms of location and and so forth, you know, like the 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 guiding and the work I've done with Stone Sheep in you know northern British Columbia, where they're now spending forty thousand dollars to do this Stone Sheep because it's pure supply and demand. Yeah, it is. And the the populations are healthy. It's not like the supply and demand's declining because you know that's really negative impact on the on the, on the sheep. And then here we are with the Himalayan bull tar outside of the Himalayas, granted, in New Zealand, and they quote unquote just give them away. Yeah, and and and, and is that is it's that incredible because it's a resource to Canada. It's a pest to New Zealand. Yeah, and yeah. I know they're different animals. I know there's there's all but different the, conversations the on same. those. The principles are the same, or arguably the same. Yeah, and I, that's one of the things I find. In a way, it's a great success story. Yeah, I mean, and I think. What I hope that people at home in the UK and particularly in Scotland are going to uh, take from this conversation is that to some extent in certain areas of Scotland, we are pushing and the government is pushing to a stance where deer are seen as a pest. Much the same as this conversation we're having right now where your species is seen as a pest. This is where we will end up going if we allow our species to be viewed in that way. They need to be viewed as the asset that they are and managed to that extent. But it's a, and I would say the deer in Scotland are a great success story because we've got so many of them, and 99% of the time they're bloody well managed, I would say. Um, but the success of tar here is quite incredible because I, and I wish I should have done it before, and I, but I don't even know if the numbers truly exist. But I don't think there's that many tar in uh, where they actually – in their native range. And yeah. I don't have those numbers. And I, maybe what I'll do, if I'm mindful, is I will look them up and do them for the intro that I do with my brother. But I, my guess is – we'll find out if I'm actually right. But with the numbers that are available, you've probably got more tar here than in the oh, native for, range. From, uh, from my uneducated or, or from my understanding, you're dead right. Yeah. Like we, we but that's, have- that's like – in terms of global populations of species, and we all like to talk about the survival of species. Mm-hmm. No one wants to see, you know, the demise of any species. I would say that's, you know, that's something it's worth considering, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> you would think so. You know, you, you would think, so. think um, and, and you know, like, and, and every animal is is beautiful in its own way. But it's such a beautiful, majestic animal, and oh. here we have it in beautiful, majestic landscape, oh, and like we have the I've got this amazing affinity to them now. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what it is You've got that for tar. life, I can tell you that. Is it, yeah. is it in me now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks yeah, a yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like the smell on the bottom of your pack. It's there. Yeah, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> yeah. to have to keep it coming back. When I saw I saw this, uh, it wasn't a particularly old, I mean, he was a long way away, but we didn't think he was a particularly old bull, judging by, by his mane, but he was walking a long way away in the last sun of the day across this, Bit of a snowfield going up to the these craggy peaks. He looked like a bear. Yeah, grizzly like bears like are really good yeah, comparative. Like yeah. a small grizzly bear walking across the snow, and that was my first proper sighting of tar uh, in this country. Obviously, I saw them in Nepal six months ago, uh, but that that sighting was even more spectacular than my my first tar that I saw in Nepal, just because of the way the light was, and it was we were way up in the mountains and. Yeah, I think I've got bitten by the tar bug yeah. good this yeah. trip. Yeah, and, and the experience as a whole, like you know, mm. like there was your time with Joseph. Like it, it brings an educational element, yeah. you know, um, and, and then with your own 
passion and education, then you, you, you allowed yourself to absorb so much from the environment and so forth. Yeah. You know, that's, For me, that's what it's that's about. Why, and that's, to me, again, that's what hunting is. Like, I have, I have mounts on my wall and people sort of ask me about that. Like, how do you, why do you, your wife's a vet, how come you're killing and she's fixing, like... Yeah, this is interesting. Whereas, we should, we but, should talk but, about this. But, but my, my first response to all of them is they are, they are my version of a postcard of travel. Yeah. Like, every time I look at them, they mean that environment at that time, that experience, that age bracket I was in, because I, I, like I've mentioned to you socially, like, you do things differently at different ages, even yeah. the same event, you know. And even so in look life. At, just, yeah, yeah. So I look at my mounts and thank God I did some of my 20s because now my 30s, that feels like a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> it makes you know, feel old. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, God damn, I'm glad I did that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, the, the the trophy, as in whatever it is, what whatever memento you take from from a trip, is is a funny one because I like taking photos. I mean, it's partly my job, uh, and that it means a lot to me to be able to look back at, at great photos from a great trip. And and this particular trip, you know, I was successful uh, successful enough to shoot a thirteen and a half year old um, bull tar, which is a very old animal. I mean, he was. I haven't actually shown you the pictures of him yet, but when when we skinned him out, there was nothing of him. Yeah, he had like no fat around his face at all, nothing inside. He was like, he was like, he was like a lurcher. Yeah, just yeah, when we skinned a him. bruiser. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he he actually had a lot of bruising all up his back leg from mm-hmm. obviously fighting Fine. during the rut. And then Joseph reckoned that it was probably fairly unlikely that he would make it through, through the rest of the winter because yep. we're obviously in winter here now. Um, but I've uh, we're going to drop off the skull of that and uh, the flat skin to the to the taxidermist. Yeah, and I'm yeah I'm super excited about that because I'm super excited about taking it home and um, you know I'm, I'm showing my girlfriend actually. Oh. I, t- I told her that I was bringing the flat skin home and she was just delighted. And it's got nothing more to do with it other than it's well it, well there's two main aspects for me. It's a continued appreciation of that animal. Like massively so, because every time I look at that skin, I'm going to think about what I had to do to get him. Yeah, the, 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 the volume of sweat on the forehead, the frozen boots. Yeah, the, yeah all of that yeah, stuff, yeah. and 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 think about you know how old he was and in what state he was in, and the same when I put those you know the the horns up in my wall, wall probably in the office, and none of that stuff. If someone was to walk into my house and look at, none of it has to do with dick measuring. I promise you. For me, it is just a way to hold on to that experience a little bit more and, and, and a continued respect for the animal. That's, that's 100% what they mean to me. Yeah. Um, a, a continued respect and just a, just to strike some memory. And that yeah. matters. You it know, does like, matter. I, like, I love a good photo, but unfortunately they have to be given to me because I don't have that skill set. <laughs> but, you know, so they're, they're my 3D version of a photo, you know, and that, that, that matters to me. Yeah, that matters to me. Yeah. But trying to explain that to, to people sometimes is, is quite difficult. I mean, what would be the alternative to that? You know, would sometimes I, I wonder whether you know, someone who's critically, you know, why do you need that on your wall? Why do you need those horns on your wall? Well, would have you been happy that I, I took all the meat out? Which we did. We took. I've got some of the meat that I'm taking up to my cousin sitting in the fridge right now, and uh, the rest is sitting in Joseph's freezer. But would have those people who are critical of that been happy that you took the meat out but left everything else? Left the skin and the and the horns on the mountainside would would have that made you a better person? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you, you, but most people can't answer that. No, exactly. And 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 for me, my personal belief on that is one hundred percent. It shows respect for the animal. I'm utilizing more than just the meat, and I always take the meat. Like, but for me, I I, I 
I want every portion of that animal. Like it means something to me. I, and I respect the fact that I took that animal. Um, so it, it does, it matters to me hugely. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not something. Just getting something that uh, you, you were touching on there, your, your wife, your good lady, mm-hmm. um, is, is a vet. Yep. Now, yep. Uh, that's, some people might find that a kind of uh, a strange combination. Somebody who passionately hunts, taking of life, vet, saving of life. Yeah. I mean, she's married to you, so I'm, I'm guessing she's okay with it. <laughs> I got by at some point, yeah. No, um, um, it definitely yeah, how, comes how, up. It comes up yeah. all the time. You know, her, like, especially in reference to her, like, 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 how come you're married to a hunter? Like, how come your house is full of dead animals? Quote, unquote, dead animals, yeah. you know, like. And, and, you know, my wife is a vet and a very good vet. But as part of that role, she is comfortable to hum- humanely euthanize animals, and and as she refers to it, there's nothing inhumane about death. So she she can comfortably sit in that bracket, knowing that I didn't just pull the trigger on everything. Like I I, I worked hard at it. I measured it internally against myself. Did I feel comfortable? Um, will I be resourceful with it? Is it the right animal to take? Does you know is the impact negative? for the other animals like like she knows I go through this entire process it's not just a whim and then you know and and then she sees the joy in what I do for me like her she doesn't share my hunting passion but she for sure shares the fact that I have a passion and so she knows when I come home and I'm smiling from ear to ear and I've been successful the dogs have gone good depending on what it, you know what it is I'm doing she enjoys that and she loves the fact that it makes I, you the man you are. I, well, it makes me the man I am, yeah. but uh, but we 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 thankfully have a pretty good freezer, yeah. <laughs> you know, as a whole. Um, or but, three, <laughs> yeah, 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 or three freezers, yeah. But um, you know, it's 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 more than that. Like it it keeps me balanced. Uh, I think a little bit a little bit goes back to primate. Like she's she's a little bit like. Thank yeah. God I've got a man of the house. Yeah. And I, but you're not you're judging. Damn, you're but, da- no, but you're damn right yeah. because. You know, I think that it's something we don't talk uh, enough about, and I'd say probably I'm even gu- I'm guilty of that too. We talk a lot about, yeah, hunting is great because, well, maybe not here, but uh, <laughs> at home it's it's part of a, a conservation and, and management thing. That you've got the meat aspect of it, you've got uh, you know the ethical treatment of game, but we don't talk that much about what it does for you as a person, and there is there is definitely. This deep connection to the the primitive being mm-hmm. that oh. we are—it's just the same as—and and I, I I can't claim using uh, this analogy, but it's just the same as you stick anybody around a campfire, anyone. Mm-hmm. If they have been in the town, maybe they've. It's is perfectly possible in this modern world that we live in that someone has never sat around a campfire before. And if you stick that person around, I, I apologize the campfire, for whoever that is. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, come give, yeah, send give us, us an call. email and I'll <laughs> fix it for you. But if you put that those people around a campfire, they're going to sit and stare at the fire. Mm-hmm. Why? Mm-hmm. Why is that? What is it about the heat and the glow of dancing flames that entrances people? And it, you know it entrances me to this yeah. very oh, day. I still and do it, it. It has uh, to be primitive, yeah. right? It has to be has some to be. sort of it drawback to, to where yeah. we came from. Yeah. And I think hunting, although it's been very removed from a lot of people, it's the same thing. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt for me, and no doubt for my wife. Like it's not just something. It's not a story I'm portraying on behalf of my wife. It's it's definitely a real thing. And you know, and 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 if I 
compile that, like, she knows what it means to me. And I'm, I'm, I'm lucky to have a, a wife that understands that. And if I'm at home for a couple of weeks, she's damn near forcing me out the door. Like, come on, <laughs> Karen, it's time to go. You know, it's better for all of us if you go for a good walk. Yeah, here, you get know. it out your system. Yeah, yeah, go, go and, and do, do it. Go and, go and see something. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's sort of, I don't know if it's primate, but then that, that explorative part of our nature. You know, I think that's where hunters have that as well. Yeah, yeah. you know, like what's over that next brow? Like, God damn, I'm tired. But what's just over there? Like, and turns out it's the same damn thing you were looking at, but you just had to check it out anyway. Like, yeah, that is a strange aspect of it, and it's one. I don't think you know, maybe not every hunter is like that, Uh, but I think a lot are, and I think an increasing amount are now. The younger generation, like my generation. I think I can still claim to be young. Uh, they seem to Hold want to it. <laughs> just. I'm turning 31 in like a week, so I think it's game over then, isn't it? Um, they seem to want more of the experience, and they're chasing. They seem to be chasing that more. You know, we see it with the conversations that we have with people. It's far more, and it always should be this way. It's far more than just the kill, and for the vast majority of hunters, it is far more than just the kill. But mm. increasingly, it's the next level of experience. And that's why yeah. we see so many people asking us about the, our wilderness hunts mm-hmm. and why I think you know an increasing number of people are trying to look for ways to adventure in other places. Because And it's another sort of throwback, I think, to the, our very primitive selves where we, we did want to explore and search yeah. And, yeah. and trying to hold on. I mean, there's, there's not really much of the world that you can go in for the very first time. You know, Most of it has kind of been done, but I yeah. think we still have it within us that we want to... Yeah, it's yeah, like, and, and what's around the next corner of the river while you're fishing? Like, yeah. I wonder if anybody else has actually been here. I think you that know, all like the time. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like I stand on a rock on top of this a little <laughs> pinnacle up in the mountains. Even where I was with Joseph now, I was like, I wonder if anybody stood like like here, yeah, literally like, under where yeah, my feet yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's nice to think that sometimes. Oh, it's 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 magic. It's yeah, like all all these things we're touching on because we haven't gone down any big rabbit holes yet. Like that, that's part of what hunting is. You know, well, largely what makes it up for me. So it's um it's a it's a magic thing. But um, but so so now going back to the management stuff because I know you've done some time in South Africa. Mm. Um, you know, and and w- without making it about South Africa, like you've got um animal management in Scotland, yeah, and then animal management in different forms in South Africa mm-hmm. that you've been privy to. Uh, how have you found those? As a hunter, you know, obviously because they're creating some restrictive. So have you found them as a hunter? And have you seen the positive reflection of those? That's, you know, I think what I'm about to say is going to be true in most walks of life uh, and in most hunting around the world. There's good practices, there's great practices, and there's bad practices. Um, In South Africa, just as South Africa, rather than looking at Africa as a whole, and I can only really speak for the southern African countries because I've never hunted uh, Central Africa. It's a lot more difficult to hunt. They're a lot more expensive. Uh, but I have hunted most of the southern African countries, and even you know within within those countries and between them, there is vast differences um, in their management principles. But broadly speaking, you know it's the same, and it boils down in Africa in particular to one main thing. If it has a value, it'll continue to exist. If it doesn't have a value, it's gone. And that is because they have they have a population issue there. Uh, they've got a massive um, poaching and bushmeat meat problem in Africa and basically you know across the entire continent. Uh, and so, unless it has an intrinsic value that can 
uh, filtered down to the local people um, because they are employed in industry with, within concessions and they're, or they're being looked after. The game's gone. Mm-hmm. And, yep. and that's and I know that you understand that, and, and you know a lot of hunters are, are coming to understand that as an argument for game management. But that doesn't mean that all the hunting in Africa is good. Yeah, you know, yeah. There's, there's, some, there's some bad guys there, yeah. and on there's a, bad practices and bad, bad practices, practitioners. Yeah. You know, on a on a moral level, there's some stuff that's gone that, that has gone on and, is, and is, is still going on that I think is questionable. I mean, there is the uh the concept of high fence which is something they talk about in in north america it's a subject which is talked about here a lot in new zealand although um i think you know in the last couple of years probably a lot of people outside of new zealand probably didn't really know that went on here um certainly it's fairly new knowledge for me and there is in south africa there's high fences everywhere but there's high fence and there's high fence you know some of these areas are 10 20,000 hectares you know so where do you draw the limit? When is big enough? Yeah, when, when, they, is when are enough? they a limit? When is the fence then a limitation? Exactly, and and quite often, and more often than not, uh, in 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 South Africa in particular, and other African countries, it's not a case of trying to keep the animals in. It's just trying to protect them. It is putting a fence around a population of game that the person who owns them can plow money into protecting them to make sure they stay alive. And that's what the purpose is. It's not to make it easier for the person to hunt. Um, it, it really is part of the protection and management and, and anti-poaching. Of course, there are you know vast areas of um, concessions which are, are rented from the government, and that's a whole different management system. Um, the one that I've partaken in in particular was in the Caprivi Strip up in the north of Namibia, and that was concessions laid out by the government, which I believe now they were really, really big, um, and I believe the last time I read, they've actually cut them down quite a lot smaller, which is causing a little bit of uh, a problem there in terms of the professional hunters taking out clients. But I don't know enough about it to comment too much on it. Um, but th- that system historically worked really well. So they essentially had what was uh, you know, public lands um, run by the government in concessions, but you rented them. And they gave a quota system. So they would do the surveys and they would say, right, okay, in this particular concession, you can short, shoot um, four male hippos and two females, whatever, I'm making the numbers up, yeah. um, for trophies. And there might be another couple which uh, you can't take anything out and they're just meat for the local community. But all of the meat from all of those have to go to local community as well, apart from, you know, you're, they're, they're quite happy if you take a couple of fillets to go and eat that night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's how those those system works. And I thought, and there are other systems like there was the campfire project in Zimbabwe when Zimbabwe was functioning correctly, which hasn't been for quite a few years. Uh, and that worked on a similar sort of basis. And it it may it gave the local communities a vested interest in looking after their game because they knew that they were going to get something out of it. They knew they were going to be employed. They knew that they were going to get uh, meat out of it. They knew that they were basically going to be looked after. Mm-hmm. Um, and Which then you, those, sorry, those three points there would work here in New Zealand. Yeah, it would do. Yeah, like you know, you don't have to be. I think it's know, true anywhere in the yeah, world. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like yeah. we don't have to think of oh, supplying meat to the villages. No. Like it's income, it's resource to the government or, or the, the community. Like you know, like that, that, those could, in a form, be manipulated to suit New Zealand. Yeah, the the principles are basically yep. the same. You know, so we we had there um, up in the Caprivi, you had to. You had to employ a game scout. 
So they had a local games guy, and his job was basically to make sure that the professional hunters and the clients abided by the rules. But it was also part of uh, employment generation. I mean, you would you would hope that people, the professionals like that, are going to abide by the rules. So it was part of employment generation, but it was smart. You know, there, w- there was a job. His, the, the Game Scout's job was to look after that when there was nobody in, and then he kind of accompanied. He wasn't always, like, on your shoulder, but he was, you know, there yeah, in the about. vicinity, and he also gave you local knowledge because a lot of the, the PHs don't live there. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll move in and move out, and certainly the clients have never been there before. So it's just to give you the local knowledge. So... That was a form of employment, and then he was—he would be the guy that would know. Okay, well, what we need to do is we need to take this hippo that's been uh, shot here to this village mm-hmm. because the other one got it last time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and in that way, it's a sharing of resources, but it means that the resources, which is the wildlife, has an incredible value to both the country and the local people uh, to the extent that they want to protect it. Um, so, yeah, that was one of my sort of great takeaways from my kind of experiences in Africa. On the other side of it, you know, they've it's like where to start with the bad stuff that needs to be tackled. Some of it's petering off. One, one of the things which I thought was particularly distasteful in the last couple of years, and I think we talked about a little bit on a podcast with Deerfund when, when I was over there last year, was they had this color variation craze where they were picking out, um, say, springbuck or blessbuck or whatever it was. They had even wildebeest that had different colors, like copper ones and white ones. And they were breeding all these color variations because they were worth more to people to come and hunt them. And you get down a whole sticky rabbit hole yep. when you start looking at this issue. So you had this, this artificial market that was created by game breeders for these weird animals that shouldn't exist by strategically breeding them, just like we do, with, yep. just like we do have done historically with cattle for particular yep. traits. It's yep. exactly the same thing. So that somebody can come and hunt a white one because they've shot a normal colored one before. You know, I think that was a real stain on the gr- some of the great successes the great work. Yeah, of, yeah. of South African um, game management because yeah. they... And I don't have these numbers on the top of my head, but if you were to look at the populations from 50 years ago to now to game in South Africa, it's crazy. You're like, how the hell did they go from that to that? Well, they went from this tiny number to the colossal number they've got now because game has an incredible value in South Africa. And a lot of that is because it's hunted. Yeah. That's that's Uh, the bottom line. I use that term often. Like the unfortunate reality is as humans, until it has a value, we don't really care about it. No. And it was, that happened right from when we were children and your sibling picked up a car and you were like, I want that car. <laughs> You're and right, only yeah. wanted it because he had it. Yeah. Like you it's had a very no basic thought about thing. that, yeah. you know. And then, you know, and that, that just, to me, scales right up to, um, you know, and it, it's it's with anything. Like, you know, if, if, as humans, we put a value on it, then we care about it. Yeah. yeah. And the, that might be, there's, there's negatives in that. Well, that yeah. That's a human race negative, not a... Not a hunting or no, a it's not, not like particularly. It's, and the yeah. and the, the color variation was was an example of that. We had put a value on it. Well, I think it was a slightly distorted industry, which actually is dying out now. Um, thankfully, it didn't last that long. The game breeders saw a niche. There were, you know, very, normally a very stereotype of hunter who had 
killed everything else on our planet, probably was the kind of guy that you and I wouldn't particularly want to associate with, probably was just a pure trophy collector who really didn't give a shit about the game but wants stuff on the walls. You know, I'm not denying that those people don't exist. They yep. do exist. Yep. Well, and I think, I think just with that, like, at, at some point this has to become a better business. Like, it's, it's money generating and it's income and it's, ex, it's expenditure. Yeah. And in, in regardless of the business, there's always a small demographic that are trying to bring in something new, the new, the well, the health. Exactly. And, and, and that's and what that's happened. happened in hunting. And that is exactly yeah. what happened. They were trying to find a new angle. And so they created all these, these new color variations. But I think my understanding of what ended up happening, happening is the market got carried away. They carried on generating all these different colors of game, which was worth an absolute fortune. And then they realized, actually, most people don't want to hunt these weird animals because it's not normal. And so they ended up not being able to get rid of them. There was the, the few small number of people who were paying big money to come and kill them. Um, but I think you tr- morally, you try and justify that. Like, yeah. try, and, try and explain to a non-hunting, yeah, we created all these different colors of animals so we can go kill them. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's just well, it's distasteful, weird, but it's distasteful to me as a hunter. Yeah, and, it, and it's like, distasteful it's not, to me. It's not a, all the hunters agree with that. Yeah. Like, so that's the right. one of the bad sides yeah. of it. And then uh, I'm not going to get into this because it, it's so complicated, but the the the, uh, the canned line hunting scenario in Africa you know, was is another area which it's not black and white, but you know, is another area that gave it bad names. Uh, but just to, to, to finish my answer to your question, in, in Scotland... You know, I'd say from what I've seen around the world, I think we do a fairly good, and I'm not just saying this because it's the place I happen to live, (laughs) um, but I think we do a a fairly good job of managing Mm -hmm. our game. We don't have that much in terms of game species, Mm -hmm. big game species. We've got four deer species in Scotland. Um, I don't think there's any muntjac there yet. Sometimes everyone yeah, tells you I've one's gone over the border. Someone gets found. Yeah. <laughs> one gets found on your carriageway. But yeah, uh, yeah we got f- four main species, predominantly roe deer, red deer, and a lot of the red deer are on private estates. So we don't have the vast, um, freely available public land access that you have. I'd say that our hunting is still very affordable. Mm. I would say that your hunting probably could do with actually, and I'd like to get into this. There being more, yeah, actually <laughs> being some more formal charging system so that you can plow more money into conservation mm-hmm. and the management of your game. That might be a way to do it because it's, it's fairly freely available right now. But yeah, in, in Scotland, I'd say that we do a, a pretty good job of it. And you know, a, lot of, um, a lot of credit has to go to the fact that most of that is done privately you mm-hmm. know, because of, there's well, a lot of private land there and it's done on the whole – very well. Yes, yeah. there's a couple of bad guys, and there are also some areas where you you might argue, well, um, you know, there are some estates that have basically removed all their deer and they've only got grouse there now. Is that the right thing to do? You, you can have those debates, but I'd say if you look at the country as a whole, we have a, a fairly good balance and also a fairly good handle on what we have. We pretty much know what our populations are. Um, mm. Some organizations might disagree and they will say that we're murdering all the white hairs but equally you know we, this is a debate we've been having a lot recently with the a lot of the the estates will turn around and say well show us somewhere that's not a managed estate that has more hairs than us mm-hmm. and then we'll happily learn yeah yeah but no one can yeah. um so those yeah. are those little media biases yeah, and, I, I, and I places think, with different agendas i think scotland in particular like based on the work I've had to do to, uh, help, to understand Scotland now with Ultimate OECD. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that, yeah. Um, 
you know, I, I see that there's some massive strength in what you do. And like you touched on there, like, I, again, I forget the figures. You, you may know them offhand, but gamekeepers look after like two-thirds of Scotland. It's pretty high. Like it's, I don't it's, have the numbers, it's, but it's pretty high. Yeah, yeah like, and, and you know, I was just, it's like when you referred to privately cared for, like, yeah, it's astonishing. And really, and, and like you say, there, there's always people or organizations that are that can find faults and there probably is always faults that's you will never remember you know what i mean yeah but but you look at look at it as a whole like we're introduced whether we've upset the balance and if people are doing their part to try and get the balance back then you know i think we need to look at it a bit bit broader but i I think i think scotland's scotland's doing a good job yeah and it's, it's not done but it's no, so it's, it's, it's not done. There's, yeah. there's definitely of it. There's always stuff that you can do better, and uh, you know I think we we just need to be prepared to learn. And with a with a country like ours that has so much history and heritage, you know, because it's it's a very old country, it's sometimes quite hard to change ways of thinking and and also management processes because they've been so embedded. And I think we just we do need to be a bit more open to learn from other people and also adjust those management processes, maybe be uh, more sympathetic to uh, the way that we use the land. Uh, and I, I think that's going to come. I, what I see from the a younger generation of uh, head keepers that are starting to filter through, which is just the, the natural way of things as people start to retire, is that they they have a, a deep care that goes far broader. A lot of them have a deeper care that goes far broader than the animals that we're hunting. And that is key. Um, I, I think it's it's key at home. I think maybe here you're, the key is let's look let's actually look after the animals that are being hunted possibly yeah. first. Yeah. But then, well, but, but, but the probably, same is true. We need you've to got, start communicating. You need to just start to see where it sits. But yeah. you've also got all the other stuff that doesn't get hunted. You've got your native species, which mm-hmm. I know is you know it's a big concern and mm-hmm. an issue. And I, I, like you, I was I saw I a Kia. It was it a Kia? Yeah. Uh, most likely, yeah. yeah. Yep. Which I th- was awesome. You know, I know that they're in some places particularly endangered, and mm. I had the privilege of seeing one up in the mountains. Yeah, like, awesome. I want that for New Zealand. You need, you it. know, as a hunter, I'm, I, I, yeah, like, and I've already said this, but I, I'm by no means prepared to lose what New Zealand is mm. just so I can continue hunting. No. Yeah, so I, I think as New Zealanders and hunters, we should want the balance. That's that's what should be important to us all as, as Kiwis. And the challenge is going to be how are you going to? How do you, how do you change? And I don't that have forward. an answer. Yeah, I I have some some, some suggestions for sure, yeah. but um, I don't have an answer. But that's hopefully I'll come to an answer mm-hmm. with the podcast and with the communication. I yeah, I mean that's that's kind of where it starts, and definitely that's where it starts. I want to get on and ask you about uh, Ultimate OE. Uh, because I think that's well, it's particularly relevant because some of the guys, and this will all make sense to people soon. But some of the guys <laughs> that you're sending over are very close to where I live and where we spend a lot of time. But before, and just to kind of finish up on the the topic that we've been talking about right now, and uh, because it, we get asked about this and it gets brought up in uh, in the UK as sometimes held up as look at New Zealand dealing with their predators is the 1080 poisoning just mm-hmm. explain what that is so that people can understand because it's it's quite um, misunderstood i think outside of new zealand or maybe yeah so the, so the issue i'll d- to describe the issue mm-hmm. the issue we really have is the the non-target kill with it you know like i think if if the poison itself was laid just step back one one step which is why it's being why poison's being dropped in new zealand in the first place okay so <laughs> 
Sorry for the laughter, but probably partially depends who you ask. Okay, yeah. um, which is true. For, yeah, I've, I've, I've yeah, noticed yeah, yeah, that. Yeah. Sorry. So, <laughs> but but why is 1080 laid? It is laid. What's the stance to, What's the to stance knock back a population and and typically a a, 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 a predatory rodent population. Yeah, so, okay. so opossums or rats or yeah, it's, it's been used previously non, for rabbits. Species. Years, you know, like there's and, and and wallaby and you know like yeah 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 non-native species. So. They use that as a measure, uh, as a tool, to eradicate a, a, a fairly large population quickly. Yep. Um, to to make to make an impact to then allow management. Okay. You know. And How do they do it? To, to like explain um, that process. Um, well, the, the, the 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 big issue, and we everyone hears about, it, is, is it's aerial application. So it's, it's dropped out of a helicopter. Yep. So. You hear the comments that it is raining green or it is raining poison, um, mm. and that's that's Kiwi term for basically applica- applicating the 1080 from the air out of a helicopter. Yeah, um, and, and and you know there's a lot of stigma that comes with that. Like it's you know like it, it gets found in waterways or it kills people's domestic pets or oh that happens. Oh, it happens. Yep. Yep. Oh, wow. Um, but then, but then. You know, and I, I am a hunter, and I have dogs. You know, um, they they the, the the companies that are laying this had to follow protocol. Like, so there's information in newspapers, or there's signage on areas and stuff. And whether or not that always happens, again, it, it probably falls into that. There's there is poor practitioners and, and poor practices in part thereof. But as a as a whole, there is enough information out there that you shouldn't have your dog in there. You know, or, or what have you, but then, then there is reported incidents of poison being found in waterways um, or or town water supplies. All oh, right, and and I say reported because I myself don't know firsthand that that was the truth, but it was reported that way, um, and and so that obviously brings about a, a big issue, and and, and I guess to, as hunters and. And people that actually like like animals, like 1080s, it's a poison and it's a slow death. Um, it's not it's not perfect. Like and and then when you combine that with non-target kills, so when they poison, it's like a so, lot of so, secondary killing. So when they 1080 an area for possums, yeah, and a lot of deer die, all the deer hunters, I disgusted by that, and. And the non-hunters, like you know, there's a lot of untargeted kill there, right? So, so, so that's where the the ban 1080 or the the FUCK 1080 yeah. comes about. Like it's, there's a, there's an anger because against it's quite and it's indiscriminate. Yeah, yeah, it, well, it is. Can be, but well, it can be. Yeah, sorry, so it can be because I I myself sit on the board, like on on a board functional within Curran. Like I sit there balanced between. Can I be on this board? <laughs> Sometimes it's a, bit, it's a strange board to be on, but um, it, I I don't like 1080. I don't like the 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 non-targeted kills or the secondary kills, but I don't have a better solution. So that that therefore I I. Like I sort of expect of most people, I go to those that are educated, and I would like to think those that are still applying this or giving the okay have the education to know that there is a benefit for this. And I did a podcast with Stefan Hope a couple of weeks ago, 
and he comes from a conservation background. And his the way he his his delivery when we talked about 1080 is he he said to me and it resonated with me a lot and it stuck with me and I'm going to repeat it right now. But he basically he referred to 1080 as being our chemotherapy. It's not perfect. Nobody likes it. But if it can put New Zealand in a holding pattern where we can keep some native animals for a said period of time until we find a better solution, perhaps it's the right thing. Fair enough. And it's, that's, I was a bit like, oh, shit, that's, yeah. that's hit the spot. You know, like, didn't make, didn't make it any happier if I saw animals dying from it. Didn't, like, it doesn't appease that. Yeah, yeah. But, but it, it put a balance in there. And, yeah. and I know one of the big arguments we get is, like, why 1080 possums when we could make an industry and have guys go in there and trap them and pluck them it's and so hard. forth? It's hard and you can't get the guys. Yeah. Like there, there is guys in New Zealand that do it yeah. and, are, and are still in that frame, you know, and they're still doing it, but not, not in a population big enough to actually have that industry. Yeah. You know, and I know guys... And tackle all the possums. Yeah, and I, but I know guys in that sector... And the the biggest thing that holds them back is they can't get good enough guys, and they're paying wages, and they're getting holiday pay, and they're getting sick days. And then we believe that there's enough guys out there that will do it, self-employed without holidays, without sick. Yeah, like, yeah. It's like, come on, like it is one thing to say that yeah, I'll go up in that gully and I'll get all those possums and I'll do that and I'll spend sixty days in the in the bush, you know. And it does happen. I know guys that do it firsthand, but it doesn't happen enough. Yeah, you know, so to that, tackle the problem. So that, yeah, to to. To to manage the popul the the problem, you know, or get it back into a a, um, a number that it's viable, you know, type thing. So, so something mass has to be done in some areas. Like I've touched on it, for me, it, it wouldn't it's be ten eighty in a perfect world, but it is ten eighty. Yeah, it's, it's hard know. to make it sit comfortably, yeah. especially in when. I think pretty much the rest of the world has moved away from oh, it. Like we, we used to use poison yeah. in the UK all yep. the time. Yep. It used to be part of the tool set for a gamekeeper mm-hmm. in 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 um, you know days gone by. And to, even to, to some extent, we obviously we, we still use rat poison mm-hmm. around households. Yeah, and um, well, that's pretty much about it. Really. <laughs> yeah, like, but, 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 like but we, it was, we do, it was like, common practice. I don't know, and and that's why. But not anymore. For this, this is my version of 1080. Because, you know, when you put the education around it, like we use, and I'm unsure of the figures, but I think we use like 70% of the world's 1080. When, when, you, yeah. when you put the scale of New Zealand yeah. against the world, it's like yeah. there's some proportions that's been thrown apart there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then we've also got a lot of land for our size of us that is uh, uninhabited. Uh, uninhabited, yeah. or the access is difficult. Not, not impossible, terrain. but difficult, terrain, difficult yeah. you know, and difficult to work in. You know, it's one thing to say you can get to that peak by going up that ridge, but then what about every possum that's not living on that ridge or rat or, you know what I mean? Like it's, you've essentially got to grid search that country, not mm. not just climb it, you know. Um, yeah, I, I can, I, I can, it's, it's un- I can understand thing. that balance. Um, the, the one thing that I heard uh, is uh, in terms of a, a stance and plan for the government is this idea of being predator-free by 20, 2050, is it? 2025? 2050? Oh, no, they, they have set a date. They have multiple dates. Yeah, yeah. But that, to me, seems... It seems stupid because uh, I don't see how it's physically impossible. Uh, from my mind, and looking at the country, it looks physically impossible to remove all the predators by that date. Mm-hmm. So my concern is that in the attempt to do something which is not possible... That a lot of other games gonna 
and wildlife is going to suffer in the meantime. Yeah. So I mean, how are you going to remove all the rats? I mean, we've been trying to remove all rats in <laughs> cities in the UK since the beginning of time. Yeah. Well, it's partly <laughs> like, and but again, that comes back that 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 whole concept. Like, it comes back to have we missed the opportunity to learn from other countries? Yeah. Like, have we even like you know like like you guys have been doing it for years? There's yeah. other countries like. And yeah, can we? Like we have, we you have, can reduce had, population, but we've had successes on islands off New Zealand. So we have made and islands smaller. off New Zealand. Yeah, and very we, much we so. have too. We've removed hedgehogs. Yeah, and all yeah. Sorts so of stuff. so yeah. we we have some success, and we are, you know, arguably there's people within New Zealand that are leaders in that field. You know, like so. Again, another one of the guys I catch up with on a podcast that's now in Canada. He's he's gone over to Canada as a New Zealand specialist to remove blacktail. Oh, really? From particular areas in Canada, which is a whole other podcast, yeah. but you know, so th- so we are specialists in that, and I guess part of that is a bit of Kiwi pride, like we like to think that we can do it, and I hundred percent get what you're saying, but do we? Is it is it just a is it just a wording thing, like in terms of instead of saying let's be predator free at X date. Let's do all we can to have the lowest predator number at X amount of date, and then would that sit better with you? Well, it would sit better with me, but my concern is what do they believe? Because if they're truly trying to make it predator-free, then where, where does the where's the limit? Mm-hmm. And if it is... Mm-hmm. And, and, and it seems to be 1080 is, is, is one a predator? of... Like, yeah. like they're not a predator as such, but they're a pest. They're Where a pest. The, 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 the predator-free, though, is not referring to them, though, is it? No, it's no, no, it's not, but I was like, yeah. sorry, that was... Yeah, looking at a bigger picture. Yeah, yeah, yep, I see what yep. you mean. But my, yeah, my, I'm just saying that my my concern is that if if that truly is what they believe that they can do it, then where will they stop? And if they are trying desperately to achieve this, what I believe to be an impossible goal, then there is going to be a lot of other things that suffer. And I don't know whether that is the correct balance. But this is me just looking. You yeah, know, yeah, I don't have I don't have a depth of knowledge in that. This is just my. Yeah. My opinion and I don't the limit, an, limited I, stuff that I've learned. I, I yeah. myself, I don't have an education around 1080. Yeah. I have what I've read and, and what I understand yeah. and what I've had shared with me. But, but there's going to be smarter people than us listening to this podcast, and it, yeah. now it's going to make them think. So that's yeah. why we're yeah, doing Yeah, this. exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I, I hope if any of those particular people are sitting in New Zealand and they would like to do a podcast, that, that it's one of the podcasts I want. Yeah. You know, I want to, I want to hear about 1080 from, from the science and from the – education and from the evidential stuff yeah you know because because a lot of what i say and what comes from hunters isn't really evidential yeah or, you know or even it's based it's a lot of it'll be emotional, kind of emotional yeah, yeah a lot of it yeah. and we need to be careful that we balance that it's understandable yeah. so yeah summary i don't like 1080 i don't have a better solution for 1080 mm. um but ultimately yeah. we need management of some description. yeah there needs yeah. to be management and i'm happy with that so i'm you know yeah i now, moving on to uh, Ultimate OE, which you did have your jumper on earlier, and I saw the hat in, mm-hmm. and we, we've talked a little bit about it. And to be fair, until I spoke to Matt, your business partner, mm-hmm. I – no, actually, I'm trying to think how this chain of events went. I had a, a phone call from one of, the, one of your contacts over in Scotland um, who you're doing some, some work with there and sending some guys over, some of your trainees. Uh, and that's how I first found out about you guys. And then I heard from your business partner, Matt, who is mm-hmm. over in Canada – about Ultimate OE. Uh, what a great concept. Ex- explain this to our listeners because uh, I- I'm sure there's going to be people in Scotland thinking, shit, I wish <laughs> there was something like that there so that I could come to New Zealand yeah, or go yeah, to Canada yeah, yeah. or something. So explain it because it's awesome. So I don't, I'm not sure 
if the terminology is right for, for, for outside New Zealand, I'll, but a, I'll a help. gap year program. Yeah, yeah be so so the gap year is is a is a Kiwi icon. We've always yeah. travelled post school or tertiary education or apprenticeship type thing. Like yeah. we sort of get to that point of our life where we have to go and explore. And Matthew and myself, we had experience in at the time was just the Canadian industry. Well. Because you did some, some other international, yeah, yeah, some other international experiences, but largely it was Canadian based, and we we, I guess through a a lucky chain of events that weren't planned by any part, our paths crossed, um, and had similar ideas, um, but more importantly had similar ambitions or goals. Like like the ideas were have sort of come about from what we wanted to achieve. Yeah. So. So in short, so what we what we did was we created a gap year opportunity that f- had two, uh, I, I guess, two resonating factors for us. And one was we wanted to get rural people overseas, and and we felt that was a need because rural New Zealanders didn't really have that sort of th- like they th- there was always availability but when I, I grew up in a rural town and I was you know a young fellow my my gap year opportunity was to pour pints or make beds yeah you know and that didn't sit with me um and rural people in New Zealand and I, I guess I'm bracketing some people are, are not going to like what I say like rural people in New Zealand stay very rural you know right through and I wanted to sort of change that and I know travel and adventure and stuff is is it lays down the pathway for for personal change, I, I believe. And I wanted to do that, and and hunting was a passion of mine, and I knew it was a passion of a lot of Kiwis. So I wanted I wanted hunting to be the basis that encouraged travel and opportunity and learning and stuff like that. So that was one of the the reasons we started Otterway, and the other, and it's sort of a little bit bigger picture, was we wanted to educate New Zealand hunters passively. And by that, you know, sharing them by sharing their their them having their own experiences in Canada allowed them to learn a whole different a, model a, and system, a massively ethos different model, and ethics. like management, resourcefulness, animal selection, aging, judging, looking at animals. Like we grow up here, you, the first day you see, you can shoot. There's no doesn't have to be said sex, said age. You just shoot that thing. Like and we basically every hunter grows up that way. Like I started that way. Like get them on the truck, yeah. you know. And that's just the, and, the culture. Yeah. Yeah, but then so you get this time, and it's forced because it's you know it's law, you know. But they fall into this and they learn so much, and they bring that back to New Zealand. And and I know I look at my circle of friends. They they've all learned a little bit from me. And so, therefore, when I think, you know, we've had an excess of 250 travellers now spread out over New Zealand. Soon and all their, out, right? their little group of five or six yeah. close friends that it hunt, up. you know, yeah. And and they're all now looking at animals a little bit longer and, and selecting older animals or, and taking or pride filming yeah. and taking photos. And, and so that that was the other reason. So, yeah, so that was why we started Ultimate Way. The The result is what we do is we actually – have a, a gap year that we send people over to work within the hunting industries and we do a couple of other industries, but for this we'll refer to the hunting. Um, and in Canada, it's assistant guides and guides. 
um, or, or wranglers, depending on the definition, but wrangler, assistant guide, or guide. Um, and in Scotland, they go over as gillies. And what what they get with Ultimate OE is we guarantee they're actively involved in the hunting. So it's not they're not there just to cut the firewood and cook the dinners. Like these guys are actually involved. They might have to do some in, of it. Well, it's, it's yeah. part of the role. It yeah. is part of the role. And they, they get that. And how they, how they get a full understanding of what the role is, is we run a training course here in New Zealand. So they, they're not expert when they leave here. It's not a it's not a educational pathway, but it's a it's sharing a skill set. So for the likes of Canada that we do the Canadian firearms license. So they're safe in that respect and so is their outfitter. They do Red Cross first aid. They ride horses. They pack horses with the sawbuck, you know, pack saddles that they'll be using. Yeah. They learn the knots. They learn predatory defence stuff. They Client interaction stuff. Which, which one of your judge. guys needed, right? <laughs> one, one guy had a close shave, so we say. Sorry about that, Ben. It was only a close shave. You, you walked away from I, it. I was referring yeah. to the predators. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, and then with, for the Scottish one, there's a lot of tradition and a lot of history and a lot of why they do the management and a lot of, um, you know, you have a great best practices guide, mm. you know, so, you know, there's we, – we, you know, use that kind of content to share You use the off. best practices guide for Scotland. We have mm. – you're using we've, some of we've it. took the basis of it and, yeah. and added it to to sort of manipulate how it would be suit with a Kiwi. I'll have to send you. So we've just uh, we've just released all the new best practice guide videos for Gralicking. We've just done them all, so I'll send them perfect, to you perfect. for your next. Yeah, your no, that'll be perfect. Well, well, and 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 because we run the first course this year, um, and we we had a very honest feedback from the guys because we want to make it better. Like we're yeah. always trying to make and evolve it better. It. Yeah, yeah, so. You know, this year we had, um, and as we do with the Canadian guys, they all had a full body goat that they had to do. They did skin that right out and part of that. Next how did, year, how did you get? Oh, you mean? <laughs> well, my, you got, my, you just my got good friend goat. Ryan, yeah, he shot all the goats. Um, thanks not, a Ryan. Mount, not a mountain, no, not no, a mountain. No, not a mountain goat. No, no, no. How the hell did no. you get some mountain so, um, goats for full body? So, but next year we've we've already got we've arranged the chiller and we're actually going to have full carcass deer, so we can actually. Tie the stags up, load them onto my horse, so that they get the full pack saddle understanding, and the larder work. Okay, yeah, because so, it'll be like, a wee bit different how you do it. Here. Yeah, and then and, and so it's about finding. To, to, it's about us finding what really makes it better for them in Scotland. Yeah, and or Canada, like depending on what it is. So they're always sort of evolving. We get a lot of feedback from our estates or our outfitters, and we're just trying to you know always get that right. And you know it's. Scotland's new. It's our first year there, uh, but we hope that it, it follows the same success as Canada. And like I said, we've had 250 travellers, and you know the outfitters can't get enough of it. And that's good. Know, so it works yeah. both ways. If the people who are going get a lot out of it, and the 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 outfitters or oh, or estates the experiences being that Scotland. the guys and guys and girls um, are having or in the environment of is massive, and it'll shape them for the rest of their lives at that age. Oh, 100%. Just judging by my own experience, and it does. And and it's it's a funny thing because so many of these people now they come and they train and they go away and it might be two or three years later that they I actually get an email or a phone call from them thanking me oh really yeah and then that's a byproduct I never yeah. really had a value for that when I started it mm. but and now it'll, it's, it'll mean a lot it's sort you. of become the emotional attachment yeah. to what I've got to Ultimate OE like I'm, when people actually thank me for where they've hit it in their life or um, what they learned and it may not have been hunting related but it was hunting that got them there and I think that's what's important that's I sort of hold on to that like you know they travelled because they wanted to hunt in Canada or be part of hunting in Canada from that they met their wife and they're now married and they've got children over there or they they met a client that held, had a ranch in America and now they're 
number one on that ranch. And, you know, there's so many different stories and they end up in completely unrelated paths. But it did but start it from a passion of hunting. And I, th- I, I always say to people that if you want to be involved in cool stuff and create opportunity for yourselves, you just have to put yourself out there. And it might not be your reason for getting out of your little town or your house and just getting out in the big world. Start meeting people yep. and start experiencing life. Yep. Put yourself uncomfortable. Here's, you here's just, Curran you and the Mumbler doing a podcast. <laughs> you'll never know where it'll go. No, you and don't, the, you, some of no. the best things you will ever do in your life will be unplanned. A lot of the best things and the best experiences and stories that I can now tell were unplanned. Yep. Like uh, there wasn't a strategy necessarily yep. that said, like, "I need to, I need this experience," because you can't. Because the best ones yeah, are I not know, like that. I have found now that I'm getting a little bit older that. <laughs> From the, the, the bulk period of when I was living that way, I actually learned that. Like, I learned that skill just to go with it. Yeah. And now I'm, compared to a, a younger version current that had very stringent, this is what I'll be, this is what I'll achieve, this is how we'll do it, this is who and how I need to know. Now it's just organic. Like, yeah, three weeks ago, I hadn't talked to you. No. Now no. we've done a couple of days hunting we're doing yeah. a podcast we're driving home tomorrow you're gonna to meet my wife and kid like you know like it's awesome yeah that's to me that stuff matters way more there's so much more learning in that. and it again it came from hunting because that's why we're here like it, yeah yeah that's you know, the connection you know, that yeah. brings a lot of people together um, and I, I just i just think it's yeah it, it's it's very hard to it was very hard for me uh, as a youngster like i left school at 16 and went to university and it took me quite a long time to try and break myself free of this. This is the only route that I can take, and because I've this is where I've set my my goal, I have to rigidly. Yeah, trajectory stick to it. is there. Yeah, that is it, and <laughs> nothing can let me break away from that. Yeah. Uh, and it, you know, it took a lot of uh, circumstances and just being distraught with not particularly enjoying what I was doing that allow me to kind of break free and take the rather complex path that I've ended up taking to, to where I am today. But it was a, as a result, it may have been very different or it may have come a lot sooner if I'd been willing to kind of just, just let free a little bit. Yeah. 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 And that's what I say to, you know, when I, when I, cause I obviously have a lot of people ring me and just talk to me about it, you know, like, is it for them? Is it not? And we have a, we have a, we actually do a conference call and video each other yeah. and, you know, because I, I think it's important that I see their emotion and they see mine. I just, for whatever reason, that's my thing. And uh, and we just talk about it. And it's not right for everybody. But for the person that's just looking for that something and it sits with them, it's a game changer. And it may not appear that way instantly. Like everybody sort of values things differently. But yeah. I can guarantee Sometimes it takes at some time point, to appreciate yeah, the yeah, experience. I know, I know from 250 travelers or 250 plus travelers, at some point, Every one of those 250 travelers will see value in what they've done. You know, and I, I know that. Do you think that um, youngsters of the sort of school age these days are, at least that makes me sound bloody old. <laughs> no, but even actually, even when I was at school 15, 15 years ago, um, do you think that the way that, uh, and this might be different here in New Zealand, granted, to the way it is back home, but do you think that we've created an educa- educational system? where it 
makes students leaving school trying to work out what the hell they're going to do with their lives feel that they're kind of like restricted. Yep, definitely, 100%. Like I probably wasn't that far that way, but my my, my generation, because <laughs> that makes me sound even older, um, you was, are older was, than more, me, so. <laughs> was more if you weren't in university, you hadn't done it. That's kind of how mine was. Yeah, and then yeah, you'd and then, if you didn't and then I think it's gone away from that a little bit. It's mm-hmm. not so much you've got to be in university because I think the figures show that that isn't always a great option. But yeah. now it's a little bit more. If you're unsure, like it's like, hang on, and I, I see it, and I sort of see a lot of the, a lot of my young guys that have travelled, their parents have travelled, and like it's actually generational, and they they, they probably share and they, they follow on from that if you know what I mean and when I say I'm going to visit schools I might visit one school and go and see a career advisor and they're like we don't, don't really see value in that and it's not really what we do and then I'll go to another one and they're like yes I love to share every opportunity I can with every student and I'll just you know how long do you want when do you want to do it yeah. and you know and I just think oh that was a rare great. career advisor no, yeah, for like, when that, I was but in that's school. great but then I'm when I sit and think about it and the emotion comes in, I'm like, what about the poor one kid at that school yeah. that it might have been perfect for or something else might have been perfect, not necessarily ultimate OE, but something else might have been perfect for and they never even got a look in. No. Well, that was That's, the – my brother and I have talked about this before, but that was one of the issues at my school and my school would have been pretty representative of most of them around the country is that our careers advisors were frankly useless yeah. because they they actually, sadly, had actually not experienced anything. Yeah. And that's just a sad reality. That was just yeah. that was just the fact yeah, of well, my I, I see it first hand so, over multitude yeah. of schools. And so how are they going to say, well, actually, maybe you should think about that when all they have had done in this particular instance is live in the, the local area pretty mm. much, go from well, an educational, educational, pathway, yeah, educational system school. back into the educational yeah. system. Where's the world experience? And it didn't exist in in our case. And I found that incredibly frustrating. Like, as I was going through university, I was thinking, why couldn't have someone just told me that there yeah. were other options? Yeah, well, I've, I've, or well, Matthew and myself, have spent a little bit of time and effort and money over the last couple of years, I guess, trying to follow our own entrepreneurial spirit in a rough in terms of personal learning and business learning and development and stuff like that and one thing that has resonated with me is and this is way off hunting topic but I've recently become a dad and I already know that I want to encourage entrepreneurial stuff with my daughter yeah. in small forms but I, I like it's I'm happy if she goes down a formal path but I would love to if she just decides that she wants to do her own thing or go head away in this direction I'm like I that would love that yeah yeah. Happily support it and yeah. embrace it. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, it's been a great podcast. Uh, the, the family's all coming back to the <laughs> yeah, house. Yeah, they're right all coming now. back. So in I, think, now. I think that's a good opportunity for us to to wrap up. We might very well do a little bit in the car tomorrow. We'll give it a uh, go. We've got like five hours to drive yeah, back yeah, up the five country. Hours of time. Um, but no, it's been it's been great having having this chat. Now, I'm sure a lot of people will have. Uh, I think there was a lot of takeaways from this, just in life in yeah. general, not just hunting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, a, it was across the board. Just to reinforce, if anybody wants to find out about Ultimate OE, how mm. do they how do they do it? Apart from um, so our website's probably the best point. Um, so ultimateoe.co.nz, um, and follow us podcast, The Educated Hunter. Great. Nice and simple. All right. Thanks very much, Karen. No, thank you, Brian. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Educated Hunter podcast. If you would like to receive a short email from us once a fortnight that contains 
everything that we've found interesting, educational, entertaining or inspiring within the hunting world, as well as updates on relevant hunting issues, our on-the-ground initiatives and any upcoming events, please visit theeducatedhunter.com forward slash join. You can also check us out on Instagram at theeducatedhunter or finally join the conversation in the Educated Hunter Facebook group. The links for all this can be found below in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening and catch you on the clearing.